You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked On Mets. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me on Wednesdays to get in on the action. Spotify Greenroom, changing the way we talk sports. Now, I'm going to make a bold prediction to start this podcast today. I don't think we will ever see Jared Eikhoff pitch in a Mets uniform again. Could be wrong. Never know. But after giving up 10 runs to the Braves on Tuesday night, I think that might be the final straw in his Mets career. And what a career it has been. We're going to have some fun at Jared Eikhoff's expense in the first segment today. I already want to put out there that I feel horrible for this guy. A really bad situation he was put in, but the performance kind of warrants it. So we're going to talk about that really bad blowout loss in the first segment. Then in the second segment, I want to talk about John Gray as a potential trade candidate that the Mets could go after. Tyler Anderson has already been moved. Max Scherzer is looking very unlikely to the Mets at this point, if not just completely impossible to acquire him, as I kind of alluded to on yesterday's show. So it might be John Gray as a clear option the Mets could go after. I'll talk about what he could bring to the Mets. And then finally, in the last segment, I want to talk about Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo, who have really turned things around offensively this month. Are we finally getting the 2019 versions of those guys again? And will that carry out for the remainder of the season? Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also follow the show at LockedOnMets. And we have a giveaway there right now. If you go to the pin tweet on that profile at Lockdown Mets, I am giving away two signed photos, Ron Darling and Edgardo Alfonso. Both of those great Mets are being inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame on Saturday. All you have to do to enter is just retweet those posts and follow the Lockdown Mets Twitter account. And hey, if you want to go to Apple, give us a five-star review. I am not going to hate you for that. That would be nice as well. Let's get to everything that went down on Tuesday. I'll tell you, I started my day. Things weren't looking good for me. Got in my car and the tire pressure lights on. Find a nail in my back right tire. So that's a rough way to start your day. Later on, I'm making lunch, air frying some potatoes, pull out the tray really quick and some oil splatters all over my hand. Really hot, bad burn. Just a rough start to the day for me. And the reason I mention all of this is it paled in comparison to the way that I felt when I saw the tweet that Jared Eikhoff was going to start the game for the best tonight. I really thought we were done with this experience. Thought this was it. When you saw Eikhoff was starting, you pretty much figured the Mets were going to lose this game. And you feel horrible for the guy. No one wants to see someone just consistently fail at their job. And I really am not trying to make it worse for the poor guy. I hope he's not listening. Uh, But, man, is it rough to watch him pitch this year. 
He's just not getting any good results. I compared him on Twitter to a substitute teacher. You might not know this. My mom's a teacher. So I actually know the experience of when a teacher has to go to a substitute. And there's always that one substitute that's available whenever you need them. But you don't actually want them teaching the kids. And when the kids come into class, they see the substitute and the eyes roll and they just know they're in for a horrible day of school. That's what it's like when Jared Eikhoff becomes your spot starter. You just know it's not going to work out. Well, the actual teacher who who had to call on Eikhoff knows it's not going to be good. Just says, I'm sorry to the class. The class is upset and it's an uphill battle. That's what it was for the Mets. All you were hoping for in this game was that Jared Eikhoff could limit the crooked numbers when it comes to the runs that he gave up. If you just got through four innings giving up a home run in each inning and it was a solo shot, you would have been thrilled. But he had four crooked numbers in this game, walked five, gave up seven hits, three home runs, ten earned runs. There's really no point in diving deep into what happened in each inning. Eikhoff started, the game was lost. That's just the reality of the situation in the way that it played out on Tuesday. It did overshadow some nice offensive performances. Jeff McNeil went 2-for-5 with a homer and a double. Pete Alonzo went 2-for-5 with a double. Michael Conforto went 2-for-5 with a double. And then in complete garbage time, Brandon Drury had himself a day off the bench going 3-for-3 with a home run, but the Mets lose 12-5. to Now, Yenzi Diaz gave up two runs as well in this game. Drew Smith pitched well, two scoreless innings. Anthony Banda becoming a Mets legend before our eyes. Had a scoreless inning. So the Mets ended up getting through this game without having to pitch Aaron Loop, Dries Familia, Miguel Castro, Trevor May, Seth Lugo, and Edwin Diaz. And that was the point. They got Tyler McGill and Taiwan Walker pitching the final two games of this series. They essentially punt one to get that bullpen fresh. You hope that with McGill and Walker on the mound, you win the final two games of this series, and you get three of the five against the Braves. If you get one of those two games, Considering the fact that the Mets easily could have lost both games of the doubleheader, if you win two of five, I don't want to say you're happy. You're still losing to your division rival. You're still giving them a little bit of hope, but it's certainly better than what it could have been. And the hope now is that moving forward, this won't happen anymore. After the game, Ross said it's great to know that over the next week here, there's no more TBDs. It's supposed to be after McGill and Walker. Carlos Carrasco pitching on Friday. Then it'll be Rich Hill and Marcus Stroman going over the weekend. At least that seems to be the tentative plan now today. And moving forward with Hill, with Carrasco, with McGill, with Walker and Stroman, you got a full rotation with DeGrom coming along the way. Maybe we're done with the Eikhoff experience, or at least all of the pitchers in that class, the Robert Stocks of the world. Maybe now it will just be Actual major league starters going out there. And I hate to continue to rip on Jared Eikhoff. This was the last tweet I sent about him. It's the last thing I'll say negative about him on this podcast. Unless he pitches for the Mets again. His career numbers. Pitching against the Mets. Fans love this stuff. 56 innings. 15 earned runs. With the Mets. Pitching for them. 19 and two thirds. 19 earned runs. He's given up more runs as a Met than he ever gave up against the Mets, despite making way more starts and pitching way more innings as a Philly against the Mets. Also had a 2-4-1 ERA against the Mets, 58 strikeouts, and a whip of 1.02. With the Mets, the ERA is 8-6-9, and the whip is double at 2.03. 
So it has been a rough season for Jared Eikhoff. You feel for him because basically he spent a week throwing against a wall, just waiting for the phone to ring. And the fact that he took the call from the Mets and actually made this start, that actually shows a little bit of character for Jared Eikhoff that he felt at least enough part of this team to go out there in a bad spot and try. And he ate some innings for them. It's one of those things where you just kind of wish you could forfeit at the beginning of the game because you know it's not going to go well. But at the same time with baseball, you never know. He's usually a strike thrower. The fact that he walked five, that is a little bit shocking here. So if he had you know thrown a little more strikes, you get lucky with where the balls are hit, maybe he could have got you through four on a random occasion and you can stun the Braves and win one you shouldn't have. That was the plan. It didn't work out. They lost the game they were probably expecting to. Now you just hope the strategy pays off and with a rested bullpen, you can win the last two games of this series. But there's also a chance the Mets will add to this rotation at the deadline, and that's what I'm going to talk about in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I host my Spotify Green Rooms on Wednesdays, where you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. Go download the free Green Room app now. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. And follow me, at Ryan to be notified when my room goes live. And generally, I'll go live around game time. You don't want to miss it. Planning to be live tonight. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Mets. I'll see you there. Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. So when it comes to the starting pitchers the Mets could have traded for at the deadline, that list took a hit today as Tyler Anderson was traded and Max Scherzer, once no part of the Mets, has a full no-trade clause and wants to pitch out West. For Anderson, he was actually traded to the Phillies first, but a medical issue on one of the prospects in the deal ended up halting things. The Mets actually made a late push to try to sweep in and get Anderson but he ended up getting traded to the Seattle Mariners instead. And honestly, I think the Mets are okay to have not made that deal. Tyler Anderson has a 4-3-5 ERA and 18 starts this year. I see him as a slightly better version of what you just traded for when you got Rich Hill. I was all over Anderson before the Rich Hill trade. I thought he was a great fit to come in, be a fifth starter for you, give you great insurance in that rotation. Better insurance again than they ended up buying with Rich Hill. But Rich Hill came to the Mets at a really low cost. That deal was already done. He was able to contribute over the weekend when they really needed an arm. And now I think you look for a pitcher that might be a little bit better in John Gray. When it comes to the starters the Mets have been linked to, outside of Anderson, Gray, and Scherzer, which was always far-fetched to me, there's been two other guys that have been talked about, Jose Barrios and Zach Davies. Barrios, it seems like the asking price is astronomical to acquire him. Talks have broken down. That does not mean a deal doesn't come together. If the Twins are talking to a bunch of teams right now, no one's giving them what they want. They might circle back to the Mets. 
and that would still present your highest upside option, but I don't know if they necessarily need Jose Barrios. Then you go to Zach Davies, and the idea of trading for Zach Davies makes a lot of sense, especially if it's part of a package where you get Chris Bryant and maybe even Craig Kimbrell, but Zach Davies might not be the best option for what the Mets need right now. And this is where I think John Gray could really be an interesting option that would not only factor into the rotation, but that has good enough stuff to play up in the bullpen. Because once you get Carrasco back into ground back, if McGill is still the best option, he might remain in the rotation, and then there's no spots for Hill and for whoever you acquire. That is certainly a scenario that's on the table. You could also see McGill get sent down, or you could see McGill shifted to the bullpen, and either Hill or whoever they acquire could fill out that last spot in their rotation. And in that case, maybe Zach Davies would make sense as a fifth starter. He has a 4-3-0 ERA on the season and 21 starts, but he's getting by on smoke and mirrors. His expected ERA, which is a metric that tries to remove all the other factors and just tell you what a pitcher should have when it comes to the ERA, is 5-6-5 this season. You look at his strikeout percentage of 15.5%. That is in the 6th percentile around baseball. His walk percentage is in the 16th percentile, and it's a career-high mark of 11.9. His sinker comes in at 88 miles per hour, and the one thing you can say about him is he's missing barrels. The barrel percentage against Zach Davies this year is 6.8, which is in the 63rd percentile. So what that tells you, combined with his respectable 4-3-0 ERA, is that as a sinker baller, he's getting ground balls, and he's probably experiencing a lot of good fortune because a lot of balls are getting hit very hard. And with all that said, I just don't see Zach Davies doing anything for you in the bullpen. And if that is the ultimate place you want to get to this year, where you're not going to need whoever you acquire in that rotation because all your guys are going to be healthy, maybe even Noah Syndergaard, although I think if he does come back this year, he's probably likely to be in the bullpen as well. Just because at this point, it's not going to return until September. How quickly can you realistically ramp him up? All of these things come into play. But you look at John Gray in comparison. This is a guy who has really good stuff. He's six foot four, 225 pounds, a big 29-year-old, throws a fastball that averages 95 miles per hour. It seems like he would be a guy that can go into the bullpen and this stuff would play up. This season, John Gray has a 3.67 ERA, but his expected ERA is 3.54, which is in line with that. He's not putting away hitters the way he should with his stuff, but he is missing barrels at a pretty elite rate of just 5% when it comes to the barrel percentage, which is in the 86th percentile around baseball. If the Mets were to trade for John Gray right now, he could factor into the back end of your rotation, but he has the stuff that'll play up in the bullpen, and I think that's really important when you talk about the Mets' needs at the deadline. Let's just say you can't get the high leverage arm you want. Craig Kimbrell either costs too much in prospects or you don't want to bring in that salary. You like the guys you have right now in those high leverage roles, but you still wanted to add something to that pen. Well, if you get John Gray, you can kind of fill both needs. He's a great insurance policy in your rotation, can certainly fill the gap right now while Carrasco and DeGrom get healthy, but he has a 95-mile-per-hour fastball that might play up to 97 out of the bullpen if he's only pitching for one inning. And his slider is really good, too, this year. Has a whiff rate of 39.7%. If 
He becomes a two-pitch pitcher coming out of the bullpen, six foot four. It just looks right. It, it, it looks a lot better than watching Zach Davies out there try to get you two winnings or a 41-year-old Rich Hill out there in the bullpen or even if they had made the Tyler Anderson deal. John Gray looks like he could be a shutdown reliever. Just on appearance and stuff alone, you see that big guy, you say, you know what, maybe he could have another career where he is this dynamic reliever out of the pen. I'm sure he still wants to be a starter. I'm sure he'll sign with somebody this offseason to be a starter. But if you go to a contender like the Mets, where they have a lot of arms coming out of that rotation, and again, that's assuming everyone's healthy, which is a huge assumption right now, I could just see a scenario where John Gray is an arm you trust in that bullpen at the end of the season. And I certainly can't say that for any of these other guys we're talking about. And Jose Barrios, while he could really improve the upside of your rotation, it might cost too much. The Rockies right now have no real GM. They have no idea what they're trying to do at the deadline. And that is the type of team you want to pick on and try to fleece. So if they are looking to get anything, I've talked about Gray a lot leading up to the deadline. The fact that He's not going to get a qualifying offer you would not imagine. So you either trade him or lose him for nothing. That puts a lot of leverage in Zach Scott's hands to get a deal he likes here. And then if you really want to get crazy, expand the package and try to get Trevor Story. That would solve a lot of problems. Story could play shortstop till Lindor gets back. He's your impact bat that you want. It makes a lot of sense if the Mets go that route. Uh, Just not quite sure how the Rockies are operating right now when it seems like there's no one in that front office. It's either going to be a team that you can take advantage of or just a team that's so discombobulated that they can't come together on anything and you won't be able to make a deal with them and you'll have to look elsewhere. There's a lot of things in play right now, but John Gray is one that I think you should watch out for because he does make a lot of sense in that swingman role where he can be in your rotation if you need him to or he can play up in the bullpen. Anyway, in just a minute, we are going to switch gears and talk about the Mets' offense in July, namely the bounce back we have seen from Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso. But first, I want to tell you about the best tasting protein bar ever, which is Built Bar, and they have so many delicious flavors that there really is something for everyone, whether it's the coconut bar, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, or my personal favorite, cookies and cream, There is a flavor for everyone. If you want to try them all, get a mixed box and try two of each. Decide what's best for you and then order your favorites moving forward. These are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They come covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're healthy. They come low in calories, low in sugar, but they are high in protein and high in fiber. If you want to try Built Bar today, go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15. For 15% off at BuiltBar.com. If it was not for Jeff McNeil, the Mets could be on, what would it be, a four or five game losing streak right now? That could be the situation McNeil has. The two clutch hits over the last few games here, the big one on Sunday and another in the second game of the doubleheader yesterday, he has really turned his season around. Has his average up to 271, on-base percentage at 353, 
Those numbers are still about 30 points below his career norms, but it's getting better. It's trending in the right direction. His slung percentage is still way down. It's at 387 this year compared to his 481 mark. But I think by the end of the season, he's going to get a lot closer to those career averages. And in July, he's been better than those career averages. He's hitting 348 with a 419 on base percentage and a 500 slugging percentage, has five home runs and eight doubles. He has drawn 19 walks. He has 22 RBIs and he's scored 26 runs in 20 games played. This is starting to once again be the Jeff McNeil we know and love. And Pete Alonzo has seen a great power surge as well. Since the all-star break, he's hitting 327, 389 on base percentage, and a 673 slugging percentage. That's what happens when you hit five home runs in 12 games. He has now hit 83 home runs this month. Of course, I'm counting 74 from the Derby. He still has nine, though, in the actual games. And when you get Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil on this type of a tear, your offense hits another level. In 2019, the Mets became a good offensive team because they had two all-stars, Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. And I go to this stat a lot just because it explains how good of a season they had. There is the metric I reference a lot from Fangrass, weighted runs created plus. Now, the easiest way to understand that metric is a league average hitter is 100. Anything above that, above average player. Anything below that, below average. So that season in 2019, they had the exact same WRC plus of 143. That was tied for the ninth best mark in all of baseball. So in 2019, based on that advanced metric, Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil were top 10 hitters in the league. That is what they can do, and that's what they've been doing in July. They have taken their game to another level, and the offense has taken off. Obviously, you've gotten good production from Dominic Smith. J.D. Davis coming off the aisle has been very good. Brandon Nimmo was really the first catalyst that switched this team from being awful to being good offensively. And you look at their numbers as a team in July. The Mets are third in baseball when it comes to home runs with 33. Actually, that might have been before today's game, so they might have 35 now. Their 797 OPS is tied with the Chicago White Sox for the third best mark in baseball as well. This month, the Mets are 12-11. and 11. But across those 23 games, they scored 112 runs, which is an average of 4.86 a game. You go to the first 76 games this season prior to July, the Mets scored 272 runs for an average of 3.53 a game. When it comes to the Mets this year, in the first 76 games of the season, the offense wasn't performing. Then it got really banged up. All those guys went to the IL. The replaced Mets came in. They had some magic, they mixed it together, they found a way, but really it was elite starting pitching for Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, and Taiwan Walker. They got some good outings mixed in from Joey Lucchese and David Peterson, and it was a team built on pitching. Since July, the Mets could have gone to a much worse tailspin considering the performance of their starting rotation. DeGrom, in and out. Walker, kind of falling off a cliff recently. Stroman was inconsistent, had a one really good start, but has been pretty up and down. And this offense has kept the team at 500 this month. And I think what you're hoping is that those two things will finally come together in August, September, and hopefully October, where you're going to get the offensive production you've seen in July. You get DeGrom back. You hopefully get Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker 
to pitch a little bit more like their first half selves. Maybe there's another addition there. If not, if it's just Carrasco and eventually Syndergaard, all of those things can come together at once. And this team can go from being a team that's just the best of a really bad division to being one of the better teams in the National League. Right now, if you really zoom out and look at the status of the Mets as compared to their components in this league, the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants are a tier above the Mets. They all are. But the Mets have the talent and the ability to add even more of it at the deadline to actually compete with all of those teams. And if you get into the playoffs, what I've always said, the Mets get into the playoffs with a healthy Jacob DeGrom in a five-game series, you got a great chance to win it. Because you could get DeGrom bookending it in game one and game five, and you just have to win one of those three games in the middle. So the Mets are still sitting pretty. We'll see if they do make a big move, and we'll see how they fare in the final two games of this series against the Braves. It's now up to Tyler McGill and Taiwan Walker to salvage this thing. You got to get one of these games. You hope you get two. We'll see how they do. But that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. Follow the show at Locked on Mets and enter for a chance to win that giveaway. A signed photo of Ron Darling and Edgardo Alfonso. Also, if you want to take the guessing game out of betting on sports, check out the Locked on Bets podcast. Hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, you can get your daily picks, your blowout specials, your wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day by following the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts.